Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. We're so glad you could attend. Come inside, come inside. Come inside, the show's about to start. Guaranteed to blow your head apart. This is the Shannon Smith Shooting Podcast. Guess it up. Alright guys, welcome back. Happy holidays to everybody. A little later than I anticipated getting back to the podcasts, but such is life. Busy end of the year with uh, here at Universal, and of course holidays and all the other insert excuse here reasons. I'll continue to try to do better. I think last time I left you I was off on a hunting trip. I don't think I've done one since then, but uh, I had a fun, fun trip. It was a little quicker than normal. I didn't get up there quite as early as I normally do, but I uh, went well. Got me a little scrubby West Virginia four-point, so that was cool. I've been handgun hunting for most of my life. I went with a rifle this year uh, just because I wasn't in my normal spot. I didn't get the tree tree stand hung in time, etc. So, And uh, came to the conclusion that I don't like any of my hunting rifles. So I've been on the on the search for a new rifle after looking around and surveying the options I decided on a 308 just because it's a good all-around cartridge and I was looking at buying a new one but I have a DPMS uh, I forget what model LR or something or other but anyway, it's a heavy barrel kind of a sniper rifle setup way too heavy to lug around in the woods and I never use the damn thing so I decided to retrofit that instead so I just shipped that off today actually and getting a pencil barrel on it and some new furniture just try to lighten the load and see uh, see what it comes in at so hopefully that'll work not that I'm gonna gonna shoot a bunch maybe three or four rounds a year probably but anyway something cool gonna bounce around a little bit uh, it's funny gonna bounce around a little bit on this episode uh, part of the reason for not a lot of casts is there hasn't been a lot of shooting going on um, haven't been training much with the end of the, with the world shoot ending I was training so hard leading up to that kind of been chilling and shooting some weird stuff, shooting a lot of PCC and little Glocks and some single stacks and not training hard, just kind of goofing around and enjoying shooting. I read on the way back from a hunting trip, I uh, read or listened to a book called Bounce, and I've talked about this before. Uh, Matthew Sayed or Syed, S-A-Y-E-D, I think is his name. Uh, if you haven't read this book, I highly, highly recommend uh, there's another one called Outliers that I've talked about before. I also recommend that. They're kind of similar uh, in topic, but the bounce uh, gets is a little bit more sport-specific, I think, where Outliers is just kind of general. And But basically what they're talking about is what makes great people great. And you know they study everything from Mozart to Tiger Woods to Bill Gates to uh, presidents. So... It just kind of finds some common themes on, you know, what happened in people's lives that, that lead up to success. And I think I've talked about the outliers before, but but bounce. He, I, I listened to this again, second time I've listened to it, and some more things rung true and some things that I'd forgotten. And I'm not saying he's right. Hell, I don't know. He's a researcher, and the guy was a uh, professional or a Olympic level table tennis player from uh, Great Britain, I guess. And it really, I mean, his point his point, which I tend to agree with, is it really comes down to practice. There's, you know, there may be a tinge of, of inherent talent, but 
it's way, 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 way more about practice. And I think that lead that lends in well to us as shooters. And I, you know, I'm an instructor. I teach a ton, and I get you know, 90% of my students or 80% of my students are your average run of the mills, C, you know, C, B shooters, maybe even A shooters. And you know, a lot of them say they want to get better, and they spend money and take classes from me, and, and that they want to get better but they're not putting in the time to practice. And that's nothing against them. It doesn't matter to me. I, you know, my, my main goal, I tell for all my students, is enjoy the sport. You're probably not going to be a professional shooter. I probably wouldn't recommend it anyway. Uh, so have fun. You know, it's your entertainment time. It's your entertainment dollar. So number one, first and foremost, is enjoy it. If, however, you want to get better, it takes practice. A lot of practice. And... You know, with, with very few exceptions, and most of those are instances where I just don't know the guys that well. But, you know, anybody I know that's shooting at the elite level has put in multiple, multiple years of practice and purposeful practice, not just waving your gun around in the living room for 20 minutes, doing a YouTube video and saying you dry fired. You know, putting down a, a proper schedule uh, with thought behind it and training your weaknesses and getting better. And he uses examples like Beethoven. Everybody talks about, was it Beethoven or Mozart? I think Beethoven, I forget. Maybe, everybody, maybe it was Mozart. But everybody talks about how he was such a prodigy, and I think it was Mozart. And he was uh, writing whatever the hell you call those songs they write uh, at, at 13 years old and 16 years old. Uh, but what you don't hear, the backstory of that is, is his dad was also a music uh, instructor, or teacher, and you know had him working on the piano and starting to write music when he was three years old so yeah he did pretty good when he was 16 but he had 13 years of practice behind that uh, look at Tiger Woods the same thing uh, was it youngest I think the youngest junior world champion and one of the youngest to win the masters and everybody talked about prodigy this and prodigy that but his dad had him swing in a club when he was two or one and I think he played his first tournament when he was three or four. Uh, so again, by the time he was, you know, a strong junior at, at 13, 14, 16 years old, uh, again, he'd had 10 years plus of serious practice in the game. And then they use the same example of Bill Gates. You know, he was uh, obviously, you know, obviously something sets these guys apart. But, you know, also if you, you read his background, he was one of the first or only schools in the country, middle schools, uh, with a computer. And his mom had the wherewithal to you know, purchase time. And in those days, you had to buy time on the mainframe or whatever it's called to, to sit there and work coding. And he was just obsessed with it. He worked on the weekends and he, he found uh, you know, internships and side jobs and the ability to work on writing programs and writing code nonstop all day, all night, all weekend, every free moment that he had. So, yeah, by the time he was in college, again, we're back to that 10 years of, of practice. And so, I think if you, again, if you haven't heard the book, uh, I highly recommend you check it out. Another interesting thing, if you haven't, uh, if you don't listen to the Shooters Summit or uh, the Firearms Nation podcast, again, that's my buddy, Arik Levy. Uh, I've been on his show a couple of times. We just, he just finished up the Shooters Summit again this year. Uh, I haven't listened to any of them yet. I haven't uh, had time to get them downloaded and get them rolling, but I will. Um, 
but that just finished up and then I did a Facebook live thing with him the other night. I think that's on YouTube as well now. Kind of wrapping up the summit and just taking some live questions and stuff. And But my topic was a little different. We were talking about uh, innovation in technique and technology in the shooting world. And this was recorded before I went on my hunting trip. Uh, I wish to heck I would record it afterwards because I'd re-listened to this book and it, again it rung home some things that I'd forgotten. And uh, in the book he talks about uh, techniques and technology improving performance. And you know one of the things he mentions is the more complex the performance, the more room for improvement in both technique and technology. Take something that's relatively simple like the 100 yard dash uh, yes, people are getting better, but you know I think Jesse Owens was in the the mid to high tens, and now they're in the mid to low nines or mid mid nines or something like that. So in the span of 50 years or 60 years, not a massive jump, 10 percent or something, I guess. But there's only so much improvement you can make on a relatively non-complex action like running. Uh, they're not going to. I mean, they're never going to run 100 yards in zero time. So they're, they may, they're going to improve upon what it is now, of course, but it's not going to be a 75% improvement. But you look at something like the high jump, and I don't remember the years on this, but the high jump, everybody used to jump uh, face forward, face to the ground. So head first, face, facing, face and stomach to the ground uh, for the high jump. And then, I don't know who it was, but some dude, I guess, goof around in his backyard experiments and figures, hey, if I jump with my back to the ground, uh, I can jump higher. And all of a sudden there's this massive jump. I mean, once people realized he wasn't crazy, all of a sudden there was this you know, quantum leap in performance because of a major technique change. Uh, so it's a, again, slightly more complex task. Now you're jumping over something instead of just running in a, in a straight line. And same thing with the shot putt. The shot putt, they used to just rock back and forth a couple of times and heave it as far as they could heave it. And then some dude figured out, hey, if I spin around a couple of times, you're generating some, centri some cent centrifugal force, putting more energy on the, on the shot putt or on the putt, whatever they call it, and thereby going significantly farther. So again, a major change in technique resulted in a quantum leap in performance. So that was kind of cool in the way that it relates to three gun. And that's kind of what we were talking about with, with Arik on their summit. And you really see that. And I've, you know, the example I always use is, you know, we're Americans. And if you put a carrot out there in front of us, we're going to find a better way to go get that carrot. Not because there's money involved, not because there's fame involved, just because we want to be the best in the world at getting that carrot. And that's what drives uh, innovation. And even all the tactical classes I teach, the military dudes, you know, I always explain to them because you never know if, they're against competition or if they have that mindset that competition will get you killed on the street or all that crap that we've talked about before. And, you know, so I just relate to them that, you know, the technology and the tire of that minivan you guys rented to drive here, you know, comes from racing. That's where they, that's where they develop the compounds and the rubbers and, and the ability to, to make a better tire. You know, same thing with shooting. The, the first guy to put a red dot on a, on a gun was a competitor. And now obviously it's commonplace to see a red dot on top of a rifle and you're going to see the same thing with pistols you know carry not, not necessarily because of the carry optics division but being that there is now a carry optic carry optics optics division 
you're seeing way more um, companies come into the mix that are offering the uh, red dot sites, the mini sites that'll ride on the slide, whether they're milled in or in the site cut or whatever. And that's just going to carry over. That that technology is going to continue to get better. And in 10 years, you know, we'll be laughing at cops that that are shooting iron sights instead of a red dot, just like we laugh at them that shoot revolvers now instead of autos. Although those are probably the guys you got to watch out for because they probably know what they're doing. But if you look at three gun, you know, when I first started three gun, I'm not a big three gunner, obviously, but I've shot it for a long time. Uh, you could be totally competitive with a 16 inch gun and a red dot unmagnified, un unmagnified optic aim pointer or whatever. And that's how it started. Well, shooters get better. So the mass directors have this mentality that, well, all right, this isn't a challenge for them anymore. We got to make it more challenging. So they push the target out and they push the target out and they make the target smaller. So again, the American looking for that carrot, it's like, all right, screw you. I'll, I'll, I'll come up with a magnified optic and I'll run a red dot at a 45 degree. Now, now what you got? You know, now I can smoke the close stuff, rotate the gun up, boom, three by nine, old school, Leupold hunting scope, smoking the long stuff. So, like, all right, we'll change the rules. So now you can only have one optic on your gun. Ha, got you now. Yeah, well, you forgot. We're Americans. So here we go. And now here comes the variable power, you know, one to four, one to six. Now we're looking at one to eight. Um, complies with the rules and it's just as good close range and just as good long range. So again, that's driving technology, driving equipment. And that's going to transfer over to the military as well. You know, the guys are, are fighting now between do I run a red dot? Do I run a ACOG? Or the military's got that LCAN, which I'm not really jazzed about. I think it sucks, but whatever. At least they're on the right track. But that's going to that's going to carry over. That you know, something like the the Vortex Razor is it's you know pretty much probably ruggedized enough. Uh, it can handle jumping, handle getting banged around. So that again, that technology is going to carry over. Uh, and then look at shotgun. I mean, that that's probably the biggest biggest example. When you're when you're doing caddy loads, or you know, we started with side saddle loads or armband loads. But then um, the caddy loads, if you could load one round in a second, that was you know pretty much pro level performance. That was pretty solid. Uh, if you could load four, load eight, and uh, four or eight seconds shoulder to shoulder, shot to shot, that was pretty badass. Uh, and then, I don't know who, I should research this, I don't know who invented the load two uh, system or the quad load system, but you talk about a quantum leap, man. You know, now a guy that had no experience, no practice, could at least run at those numbers. You know, could at least run the one round a second number, no problem. But of course, now they're smashing that, you know, hundred percent faster the again guys that aren't aren't that great you know are loading two rounds in a second and the guys that are really good are doing better than that so it's again just an example where and that I don't I don't know if that'll carry over to the tactical world because it's obviously not practical in the way that you carry the rounds or or what you have to do with the shotgun to make it work but uh, definitely you know changing the technique uh, dramatically in the uh, in the three gun world in the shotgun world uh, just just some things I thought was uh, thought was cool. Speaking of three gun, we had our what we call our goofy three gun in December each year. We started it I think two years ago. Our local local three gun match in December. We started doing a goofy three gun. Me and a buddy were talking about weird guns, and he's like, "Yeah, I got an M1. I've always wanted about shooting it in three gun." And 
I was like, yeah, I got an AK. I've always been wanting to bring that out too. So we said, screw it, let's do it. Uh, so we started the goofy three gun match and you can, you know, just no, uh, no money, no glory, just the carrot. And you know, you can bring out those guns in the back of your safe that never get any love, don't get a chance to get shot. And that's just kind of become a who can shoot the weirdest combination kind of thing. Uh, so we had that last week. So that was a lot of fun. I shot, uh, I shot an AK, a Beretta 92 and a Ruger red label over under 12 gauge, my old duck gun back on Asia duck hunt. And a lot of guys shot M1 Grands. I got to get one of those. Uh, I feel slightly less American for not having an M1 Grand. And that's CMP, the Civilian Marksmanship Program. You can get them for cheap. They ship them straight to your door. I just need to stop talking about it and do it. We had a lot of guys on our squad shooting that. Maybe five or six, I think, Grands that were out there. Uh, Brad, buddy of mine, was shooting all World War, World War II stuff. Had the Grand, uh, Government Model 1911, and... I don't know what the hell kind of a shotgun it was. Uh, he called it a trench gun, but it was basically just stamped USA on the side. Pump action, basically, you know, 870 or 590-ish looking thing. Uh, so that, that was cool. It's, you know, a couple of the guys were pretty decent at running the Grands as well. So it was good to see, you know, you've only got eight rounds, but it's eight rounds of freaking major caliber rifle ammo. Um, you know, running it in the house. So that was cool. You, know, you can't help but think back to the World War II guys and traipsing across Europe carrying that big-ass heavy rifle and you know, the power that it brings to the table and rapid-fire capability and the ability to run it. I mean, these, these guys were loading it pretty good and uh, putting down some fire on regular big-ass three-gun stages. Uh, so that was cool to see. And I was running the over-under, which really wasn't bad either. I had my regular uh, Invictus caddy system, the, uh, the quad-load caddy system. And... You know, break top, break open, you grab two at a time and you know, jam one, jam the other, slam it back shut, go at it, and open up, jam one, jam the other. That just kind of reminded me that, you know, they talk assault weapon this, assault weapon that, you get a guy that can run a gun, uh, regardless of what kind of gun it is, and they're going to be deadly with it. Um, and I, the, the match was a little shotgun light on purpose because I, Number one, built the match, and number two, I uh, knew I was running it over-under, so we were a little shotgun light. Uh, but still, you could get pretty pretty half-decent rate of fire downrange with that. Uh, that was cool, something something different to see. Speaking of the tactical world, I, I had a military class week before last, and the extractor on my AR went bad. So it is one of those you, you should have known but never done kind of thing. You know, it's, it is my... I call it my zombie gun or my work gun, but it's a 10-inch Colt, and I use it for all the military classes, And but it's also my home defense rifle. It's under the bed, and it gets used pretty good. I mean, I shoot it pretty hard during classes and doing demos and stuff, and uh, the extractor just wore out. just got weak, so I had a couple of malfunctions. I'm there trying to do a demo in front of the guys, and the gun's jamming, and he just looked like a jackass. Uh, so that was, uh, that was on me for not keeping a better eye or doing some type of a PMCS or preventive maintenance on it. So a little ding on ding on me to check on those type of things, but it just got loose. I mean, it wasn't broke. Normally you'll see the tip break off, which is what I thought probably happened, but it wasn't. I looked at it and it was fine. I reached down and felt it and it just kind of wiggled a little bit. I was like, eh, it's probably too loose. So the spring, it just wore out. So I swapped that out with a new one we had laying around and it was fine the rest of the day. It's just a little little self-defense tip from Shannon to 
keep an eye on your tactical gear as well if you're not shooting your defensive guns on a semi-regular basis. Uh, I highly recommend you do to make sure they work. And on the flip side of that, if you're shooting them a lot, then you do some maintenance on them, make sure that they're in good working order if you're gonna trust your life to it, for sure. A lesson, lesson learned there. Probably need to clean that gun, by the way. I haven't, uh, haven't done that in a long time either. There's a couple of eclectic topics I was gonna hit on, uh, grab one question this episode. Uh, Eric W. from Facebook was talking about uh, new shooters. He said, do you have a recommendation for new shooters or what is your recommendation for new shooters? Are you a run what you brung kind of guy? Or do you recommend buying into a lesser equipment or lesser expensive equipment setup like a you know Glock setup, mags or you know carry optics or production or something like that? Uh, good question. I get it a lot running matches, and I guess it depends on two things. Um, you know, what is your what is your budget? Because a lesser expensive setup for some is is nothing for another. You know, I've got some guys that'll take two classes from me and then they'll go buy five guns from SV. So it's, you know, everything, everything with money is relative. Um, but I'm probably more of a run what you brung guy to an extent. You know, I mean, if you've got a, a Ruger SR9 with, with two magazines, then I don't know that it's worth going out and buying four more magazines for that and, you know, and a holster and belt and mag pouches, et cetera, you know, cause you're going to be a semi-significant investment there to begin with anyway. So, it, you know, we don't want that putting, putting uh, good money over bad. But normally, you know, if they've got a Beretta 92 or a Ruger P, whatever those old things were, you know, if they got two mags or three would be great, but they got two mags, that's, you know, 15 rounds per mag, have them shoot limited minor and just come out and experience it and and see what they see what they like. If you know if they've got any semblance of a Glock or a Sig or a Smith or something that's more prevalent, then there's probably somebody at the match they can borrow a couple of magazines from. And I've never seen anybody not not be willing to do that uh, and get themselves more involved. Uh, this often reminds me of a skydive story. I got into skydiving in the late '90s when I was in the military, and I, I remember my first. My, for our first little intro or class or whatever, ground school, whatever you have to do that day. And there was a significant number of people in the class, you know, more, more than 20, I think. And the guy said something to the effect of, we got X number of students in here. Good to see you guys coming out and trying out the sport. You know, we'll probably get one, maybe two skydivers out of you guys when it's all said and done. And I remember thinking, whatever, dude, you know, once I commit, I commit. How you do anything is how you do everything. I'm here. Let's do it. I'm a skydiver. And I did like eight jumps and then quit because I ran out of money and ran out of time and et cetera. So I've always thought kind of the same thing about shooting. You know, I've seen a whole lot of people, whole lot of people come and go uh, in my time in shooting. Obviously, I've been shooting a long time. Um, so you hate to see somebody come throw a bunch of money into it at the very, very beginning without really having a feel if it's something they're going to dig or not, you know, or something they're going to be willing to spend time on. So for that reason, I'm definitely more run what the brunt, run what you brung kind of guy or borrow. You know, I, I've countless times I've loaned my Glock and gear out uh, to somebody to come to come shoot a match. So nothing wrong with that either. You know, normally there's enough people in the club you can scrounge together a Glock 19 or a SIG 320 or, you know, whatever you got and uh, get, them, get them to shoot a match or two. So I definitely recommend that. And the camaraderie in our sport is 
you know, is what drew me in, is what draws a lot of people in. You know, everybody's always willing to jump in, help out, loan mags, loan ammo, loan guns, you know, loan, loan whatever. Uh, and then if they're a little bit more serious about it, then yeah, I would definitely buy into a lesser expensive division, I guess you could say. Um, you know, unless you're just, just unless you're knowledgeable uh, somewhat, you're not going to jump into to limited or open or, or some space gun where you're fighting to keep it running and you need, need to know gunsmiths on speed dial and that kind of shit. So it's much easier to uh, get in with, with um, you know, the, the SIGs are awesome, the 320s, uh, Glocks are great. I mean, there's a lot of really good options out there now to get in, in a competitive division. You know, it used to, when, I, when production that, that first came around 100 years ago, that was kind of thought of as the entry-level division. And then once you get serious about competing, well, then you move to limited or then you move to open. And that's obviously not the case now. Production is, a, if not the biggest division, it's going to be the biggest division. Uh, hotly contested, top competition. So it's you know clearly one of the places to be now. So now you can get in for you know comparatively inexpensive and you're competing at the highest levels of the game for for not a for not a lot of investment so that's kind of cool and then carry optics the same thing so if you're seeing the dare i say older competitor coming in that you maybe can't see so great anymore you know it used to be you had to try to get into a multi-thousand dollar open gun uh, to be able to see and again now that's not the case you got carry optics and uh, i've had a couple of students recently with that with that x5 you know, it comes with a sight ready, sight on it from SIG, and it's um, it's it's pretty badass. Uh, obviously, Glock and, and Smith they've got their they've got their uh, optic options as well, which are all good. So again, now you're in a, another competitive division, and you can see the target. So obviously, a bonus there. So I guess that's kind of given the uh, couple of different sides of the coin, but you know, I, I'm not big on making initial investment until you think you're going to get involved with the sport. But also that's relative, you know, maybe a two, three grand on a Friday to get set up and rock and roll and is nothing to, to a certain person, in which case, you know, go for it. No, never one to discourage a guy from buying a gun. Uh, that'll wrap it up for today. I've got uh, a plethora of questions on uh, match administration, design and and handling staff and price points and et cetera, quite, quite a few of them. So that'll set me up for a good... Uh, good other podcast we talk a lot about shooting and how to shoot but obviously i run matches excuse me i run matches for a living as well um so i've got a lot of a lot of thoughts on that so i'll try to hit on that in the next one and i will try to be more frequent getting back to you uh, in the meantime it's a couple of days before the new year hope everyone has a safe and happy new year and gets on that dry fire program when the clock turns over see you on the range Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. We're so glad you could attend. Come inside, come inside. There behind the glass, there's a real blade of grass. Be careful.